trying to drag a curriculum into what you think is happening now but was actually happening five years ago and you're not even thinking to like prepare students for what they're actually gonna the world they're actually gonna enter the world has never been changing more rapidly dislocating the ways we work learn and live on the learning future podcast we discuss the knowledge skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future exploring insights with world-class educators researchers policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I am so excited for today's conversation. It is with this wonderful guest that we have, Tyson Yunkaporta. He is an Indigenous thinker. He's the founder of the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab at Deakin University. And he's the author of a book that he wrote called Sand Talk, which I don't know if I want to call it a revelation, Tyson, but it is for many. Um, because it is about how indigenous knowledge and indigenous wisdom can save our world. Tyson wears multiple hats. He's an academic and arts critic. He's a, a researcher from the Appalach clan in far north Queensland. He spends some of his time carving in traditional tools and weapons. And he's coming to us from Nam and beautiful Melbourne there. Tyson, wonderful to have you with us today. Hey, yeah, really good to see you. Uh, good to finally meet you. It's, it's been a lot. We feel like we've been orbiting each other, which is something about yeah, yeah, the human it. system, you know, of uh, our work in education or whatever the contributions might be that we try to make. Take us. Well, uh, you, you, only, you can only cite. You can only cite someone. Like, you can only cite each other a certain number of times before you got to have a yarn. <laughs> That's very true. Oh, well, I'm yeah, glad yeah. we're. we're I, I, I'm, I'm not disappointed so far. <laughs> I tell you what, I've met, I've met a lot of my heroes and just been devastated. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, they, Which is, they, you know, they say that, don't they? You know, people are a process. People yeah. are processes. They're almost not uh, beings, you know, and, and they just kind of move through the stages. Oh, I love that. And I'm just really glad that I never got that Bill Cosby tattoo that I wanted to get in my 20s. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. 21, it was a toss-up between a, a thing that was on a stone <laughs> that that a, a, a ancestor gave me, like a, a relative gave me the stone, and Bill Cosby. And I went with the stone, thank God. Okay, maybe that was written as well, Tyson. You could sense something, yeah, you know, in the emerging zeitgeist about it. not doing so. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know anything about that stone. I thought it was, I thought it had been carved. Mm. And because I didn't know, it, but it was one of those sea, sea urchin fossils. Oh, I'd never wow. seen one of them things before, and, and I've been carrying this thing around since I was a little kid. Interesting. And I'll give it to me, and and I always thought it was um, that you know one of the old fellas, you know, hundreds of years ago had carved this design on it, and I'm like reading all this stuff into it, and I'm like, <laughs> it's just. Uh, it wasn't pattern thinking. It was more patternicity, mm. like like you get with your conspiracy theorists and stuff. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm just building all this meaning. <laughs> it's just yeah. gammon yeah, from this yeah. thing. I've still got it on my arm. It's like shame, <laughs> shame job. It's yeah, look, up. it's still there. <laughs> I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was this ancestral thing. It's like no, it's just a fossil. Of well, like a sea urchin that does that. Uh, well, that mm. Tyson, I think we're. We can go in any direction here, which is the wonder of this. But in some ways, that is ancestral. It's the fractals of nature. It's a, it's a recognition of the way that life expresses and replicates. Uh, 
itself, yeah. which I think is something that we're learning. I love your reflection. People are a process, you know, and we fall into these false dichotomies and you speak about this um, in your book, you know, these kind of, you know, we come, th we come through the scientific method, we compartmentalize, divide, and we prioritize over other, you know, we, we other in the first place. But, you know, rather than doing, are we being or doing, it's are we becoming through this process and held within a particular context mm. and space and you know, the mm. kind of eldership and the learning. So, I mean, my, my fascination and curiosity really is about the process of learning, which I, I feel in our brief conversation so far is this process of becoming and perhaps becoming who mm. we really are and choosing that every day through a process of, of agency or self-determination or collective determination. Yeah. Well, it's so, about being really hyper-aware and responsive to your context, mm. like to your landscape, you know. And when there are all these systems layered over your landscape, you know, having to respond to all these things, if you're doing that authentically mm. <laughs> and you haven't got good filters and um, sort of little lists to try and block things out, you... You end up becoming just a, a, a collection of pathologies that expresses itself in weird ways, which is like definitely what I am. And, and that's not in the bio, but I mean, the bio, you know, sounds, sounds lovely, but I hate bios. They just, that's got nothing to do with me. Mm. It's like, um, yeah, I'm just a bunch of neuroses and pathologies and, and weirdnesses that um, is entertaining to watch sometimes. It's like... <laughs> Oh Jesus! What's he going to say next? You know, and that—that's about it. This is like this. You know, it, it's like oh, I'm going to read Sand Talk and learn about Indigenous thinking and like, you know, the stuff in there from the old people. It's like, yeah, that's good. But, but my, my way of, um, you know, journeying through that is that's not normal. Hmm. It's not. Uh, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's weird. You know, and. Um, <laughs> You know, so and people go, oh, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. It's like, no, it's it's really not. It's really not wisdom, but it's um, it is fun, and it's um, you know, it's a bit of a romp, and it's interesting, and and that's often a good way in. Okay. So yeah, Melissa Lukashenko described um, sand talk as dark emu on acid. <laughs> I'll stick with that. That sounds. But yeah, please don't be like looking at any of my stuff and thinking, "Ah, oh, this is an this is the indigenous perspective." It's like, yeah, I'm a weird person, mm. very marginal. Mm. Well, I wonder, Tyson, about that. You know, the idea that we use all these constructs and you know mental models that are so often subconscious about who we need to be or what this needs to look like, how we design a school system, how we design a company, how we you know, evolve an economy, what matters most. All of those things seems to be coming from this this space that doesn't hold open a suite of possibilities outside the current set. And mm. so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, how we evolve. I don't know if evolution is the right word, but it's something about being able to go beyond the current thinking. You know, we can't solve problems based on the thinking that created them. You know, the level of consciousness, mm. as Einstein quipped. So... I am. I do think, in my own journey as an educator and innovator and whatever. I mean, I also think I'm. I'm. I get described as quirky all the time, Tyson, which I'm embracing, because you know it's it's that search for authenticity <laughs> over acceptance. I think or mm. approval, even more to the point. You know, it's we live in this culture scape, yeah. um, which we are 
unconscious of so often. I mean, I love the example, you know, when you've got fish swimming through water, the last thing they are conscious of is the water itself. And yet that is kind of what's yeah. holding them in stasis or in movement. Yeah. So, so I'd love just to hear, I mean, your, your perspective about systems um, in all their forms, because it seems to be the big idea that you've been focusing on is, you know, the idea of the Indigenous Knowledge Lab. You know, maybe it's not about invention, it's about remembering or it's about the convergence and transcendence of those two things. And take us mm. into this world a bit, you know. Explain Sand Talk for the listeners that haven't, haven't heard of kind of the work of, of that. But I've, I've listened to you a few times and you, you've been surprised by the success of it, um, you've, you've said in the past, be it uh, as this collection of pathologies, but I think also pathos, you know, there's, there's a narrative here that's important for us to pay attention to, is there not? Yeah, well, it's just it's just one narrative path through, and it's a it's a real winding road that one, um, you know. But I guess it's it's just that um, it's just that I guess you know there's just a bit of a reversal. This idea of instead of um, <sighs> instead of indigenous perspectives being you know in the content you know, content about Indigenous people or content yeah. by Indigenous people, you know, or centering Indigenous voices, you know, all these things. So instead of it coming into the content in that way, um, it's more about the idea of, well, what if it's in the process? What if <clears throat> instead of studying Indigenous things and thinking that's a perspective, what if we're studying the world? You know, what if we're looking at well, let's look at the history of former Yugoslavia, but we look at that through an indigenous lens, mm. you know, and it's mm. then, okay, so what's the indigenous lens? Um, you know, what is an indigenous process of inquiry mm. for coming into a story of place and people? You know, so we set those basic protocols in place before we start. And then, then we start to learn about former Yugoslavia. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It does. Because you know, then suddenly you, you do have an indigenous perspective in everything and it is enhancing your intellectual rigor, your, um, you know, your inquiry is sharper, yeah. is more context, context dependent, is, you know, able to see more things, more cause and effect relations than you can poke a stick at, you know, yeah. and uh, things get exciting then. It's much more fun marking papers as a teacher. You know, it's more fun marking papers if you've got like, you know, 30 different narrative yeah. lines through something. Um, that know, amazingly different perspectives and angles on things rather than every single person regurgitating exactly the same sources. Yeah. I, I, love, I love this reflection of yours and that... And I don't know if we yet do this well. I think the system design of mass education or of higher education has been such that it's about as much about the product that's created at the end. You know, so even the yeah. example of marking the assignment is what we focus on as opposed yeah. to the process through which we create an artifact, a, a product, a thing yeah. collectively for an authentic audience that's embedded within a human mm. context or a marketplace to yep. use economic thinking. So, yeah, how... Yeah, that's, that's just about trans, transfer, transferring capital, you know, 
all of that. That, that simple, that simple all chestnut. Yeah. And all that sort of thing. It's just, you know, you, you're taking knowledge capital, cultural capital, and, you know, you're transform, uh, transferring that into institutional capital, you know, through these metrics. Mm. And then that institutional capital becomes an objectified, you know, you, you get this, you get your certificate or whatever. Mm. And then that has transactional value in the marketplace. Um, allows you, you know, a better opportunity to rise in the car system enough to try and access some actual capital, um, and you might finish up getting some land mm. if you're able to. Um, if you're able to become a millionaire, like, <laughs> like yeah. you have to be a millionaire what? to, um, you know, buy a small peasant's cottage. Now, like, That's true. It's interesting. still won't have enough land there to be able to, you know, have any kind of food sovereignty or security. You, in order to have that, you got to be a multi-millionaire in order to live like a medieval peasant. <laughs> <laughs> now, and you got to rise high. You better be in the top five percent, you know, of the um, in that mm -hmm. caste system. So you know, you get your exams on, bros. Um, yeah, you got to <laughs> oh, jump through some hoops. Yeah. It, yeah, I, it's, but that's the thing. It, it, it our institutions measure nouns; they don't measure verbs. Uh, you know, so they don't measure actions. They don't measure relations, and they certainly don't measure action relations. There's no accounting for that. So that informs the economic system because the accounting systems will uh, they can only quantify nouns. Mm. You know, they can't quantify action relations at all. Um, there's no there's no verb that you can put in your ledger whether that's a bloody you know a permanent digital ledger or a yeah yeah that's <laughs> or right. a temporary based on a blockchain one. or something not that there's anything permanent about digital with the, the mm. way um you know data degenerates over time but we'll get to that after <laughs> um, once we've got the metaverse tyson you know and we can all kind of consume ourselves within this oh yeah all-encompassing yeah, world there, yeah yeah that's the suck of yep we, they can be a digital twin for everything yeah you know, a digital twin there we can sit down we can just lie down on our pods and bloody yeah <laughs> great time sorry <laughs> off we go as we might be until the rare earth metals run out of course um and then we'll go interstellar reason, so yeah Tell oh yeah yeah we're going yeah, to space true. oh yeah <laughs> there's enough resources for that Surely, Tyson, yeah Tyson take us into <clears throat> I mean I I first came across your work as a teacher and we were talking about this before recording um, in the mm. Anangu Pinjari Anangu lands the APY lands in Central Australia and hearing about the eight ways of you know the eight ways methodologies and these are the different ways that we could consider a learning process to take place and for me mm. I think back then as, you know, someone in this 24-year-old, 20, 23-year-old, you know, really understanding for the first time that my own paradigm had not been questioned powerfully by myself nearly yeah. enough. And so, and this was my direct experience of working on a linguistic and cultural interface, which was the experience of working in a, a community. Um, you know, even things, Tyson, that, that I used to, you know, people would say, oh, that's the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah, it's out the back of whoop whoop, you know, these kind of Australian slang things that many internationalists mm. have no idea what we're talking about. But, you know, a long way from everywhere, as opposed to saying this is the middle of everything, because mm. it's all about perspective and the taking of perspective, you know, and, and where, which vantage point we choose 
to inhabit or that we're empowered to be able to inhabit as opposed to being labelled or given That's a it. single story? Oh, it's, it's the problem with, um, you know, a, a culture that demands, you know, a, a movement towards a unified theory of everything. Mm. And, and this is, it's, it's not really a culture, it's a system, it's a, an experiment of nations. And it's only about a century old, the idea of organising communities into nations, and that was to facilitate the industrial era, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, you make these massive monolingual, monocultural sort of things. So you have to have a big population that is, you know, um, unified in, in thought, word, and deed. You know, yes, you can come here, but you gotta, you got to take on Aussie values kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, you know, as you're coming in, it's like you got to do a test. What was Donald Bradman's <laughs> scores? All that sort of thing. 99 so point weird. whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that idea of, once again of content as culture. Like, <laughs> well, mm. you know, it's, <laughs> there are processes that are, you know, Australia-ing. <laughs> mm. mm. <laughs> And, you know, a bunch of test scores is not um, that, you know, cricket scores. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's the content, not the process. But it's, um, yeah, look, I don't know. I, I don't, um, I'm not a fan of all this, like, heuristics. So even the eight ways, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. You know, it was the idea of that. It was supposed to be a model, like a transitional kind of, Mm. you know, heuristic for one particular region in Western New South Wales of about 12 language groups. Right. You know, it was based on a kinship system from that region. Yeah. Um, you know, and <laughs> it, it was the idea was that, yeah. that you, it, yeah, it, it, it makes, you know, um, it, it's a model of to help people, you know, understand, ah, that's what process, not content means. Ah, that's how we can teach algebra with, an Aboriginal perspective is by teaching it through Aboriginal pedagogies, mm. you know, um, you know, drawing on Aboriginal systems, Aboriginal processes, you know, um, um, mm. you know, embedding Aboriginal protocols, you know, in our kind of inquiry and in our environment of um, of, of learning together, you know, <laughs> mm, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple idea, but very hard for people to get. So that was the idea of that. You know, but like, you know, all models, you know, it, it only works in a moment in time, you know. Yeah. It works like, you know, as a placeholder, like you use, and we know this in science, you know, like, you know, you, you use Newton when you're playing pool. Yeah. New, Newton's physics will bloody make you a lot of money down the pub, you know, <laughs> you know when you're playing pool. So. Newton's good. Yeah. But um, if you want your phone to work, <laughs> you know, and you get that satellite signal, you, you're going to want a bit of Einstein mm. behind you because Newton will not work for that. Mm. You, you're not going to be able to, you know, download a photo of Rihanna for your screensaver with Newton. It's not going to work, <laughs> you know. But then, you know, does that mean that Einstein's more, you know, all-encompassing unified theory? Not at all. In fact, you know, that becomes a theory that people over-rely on and stagnate in, mm. and that's actually limiting where physics is able to go mm. now, you know. Um, you know, this, this sort of over-adherence to that and this inability to move between theories. 
Stephen Hawking used to talk about that all the time. Science is like a is like you know the the Mercator map of the world with yeah. the grid on it. You move from one square to the next. Yeah. You know, in the different contexts and for different purposes, and yeah. that's what theories are. You know, they're just the best available model to be able to do some, you know, predictive stuff um, <laughs> for as, as as useful and accurate a model as you can get for your purposes. And that's that's all that is. And yeah. it's just like, you know, so eight ways. It was even a we. It's called eight ways because we didn't want to name it. <laughs> we didn't want to give right. it a language name. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of yeah. old fellas sat down for a long time thinking language names and it's like, no, let's not name it. Mm. We'll just leave it because it's a blank thing. Yeah. You know, it's a template. It's a it's a template, a stepping stone for people to come in yeah. and and start to co-design, you know, with community together yeah. and bring their stories together and actually build a dialogical approach to education that way and yeah. actually transform the systems. You know, so that when we walk in the gate out the front, it's not hostile immediately, you know, <laughs> that it gradually will change things. So we didn't even name it. It's just like, um, and so Eight Ways was like this shorthand just mm. to refer to it. And then it was suddenly people are going, the eight Aboriginal ways of learning. And I didn't even have my name on it because it was just so, you know, it was, there were more important things that came out of my doctoral work thesis yeah. than that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, cause you know, we're looking at the barriers of, uh, non-Aboriginal teachers coming to indigenous knowledge, mm. um, you know, and you know, is, is it possible for non-Aboriginal teachers to come into indigenous knowledge and then is it possible? or even desirable to bring that into the curriculum. These are just, was just big questions. And there were some great things in there that answered that. There were some very interesting things, but nobody knows that stuff. It's just, oh, the eight Aboriginal ways of learning by Tights and Yaga Porter. And it's like, don't put my name on that. I didn't do it. There's weird stuff everywhere. I think in Townsville, someone started up a business, like an eight ways business with a big shop front. Oh my storefront, God. you know, big signage out the front. We got my name on it. I'm like, Jesus! <laughs> Someone told me about that. You know, put me out. You're going to get me speared. Really walk into someone else's country and bring some strange stuff from somewhere else. But the people who do it most are like really, like in Yarrabah, you know, mob there took it on, but they used it as as leverage with the um, admin to go look what we've been telling you all along about our mm. way to do things. Here, there's research for it. Yeah. You know, here we can cite this. This is uh, proven. Mm. So just let us try this out for a few months our way. And then, you know, they didn't do the eight ways. Mm. They were able to um, express through their own metaphors. They were able to express their own local pedagogy and to assert that and bring it in through the early childhood first and then coming up through the grades there, you know. And they were just like... I don't know. It was so good years later. It was like 10 years later. I'd sit down with that mob there and they were just, um, you know, I was nearly crying. We were just all sitting around and, and you know, they were so happy to show me, look what we did with it. And all the people who are doing the best work with it, they're not using it at all. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's something to induct non-Aboriginal teachers in with as a first step and then be co-designing stuff afterwards. It'll look nothing like that. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, that one. Like everything, everybody wants a list. Well, that's, that's I you think, know, especially 
Yeah. In troubled times, it's yeah. like, you know, tell me exactly you know, what 12 I rules, do. 12 <laughs> rules to for life for, for surviving the Anthropocene. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah, oh, Jordan Hall, he's got a couple of, no, Jordan Peterson. Peterson, yeah. yeah. And that one, he's like, you know, got all those things you have to do, clean your room, bloody, you know, there, there's yeah. all these lists. Straight. Yeah. There's all these lists and it's like, you know, eight things to, you know, change the world or save the earth or stop climate change. And, and it's like, ah, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm writing the next book now. I'm, well, I'm starting mm. on, on Monday. Great. I'm going to try and do it in five days because that's the only time I can, uh, it's all the time I can get off. Um, yeah, but uh, my working title is um, 12 Ways to Avoid Lists in, in, the, in the Anthropocene. <laughs> It's it's such a beautiful example, Tyson. I mean, this yeah, this piece on you you put something out into the world as a tool to try to help mm. shift a kind of consciousness or an awareness. And of course, what it becomes is embraced, commercialized, reduced, mm. deployed, scaled. You know, it's it's as mm. if the current system design it needs to needs to change the language of anything it doesn't fully understand and then it, so that it yeah. can be part of this in, in the industrialization of yeah human society well it has to turn processes into nodes yeah yeah in sure. order to be able to quantify it or even for it to exist yeah and you know and that's not how systems work you're looking at the informatics and the relations in the system that's what the system is it's energy spirit information knowledge moving around you know, between all of these temporary, you know, nodes for these things, like mm. neurons in a brain, you know, and it's like, ah, it, it, this inability to see a process to the point where, you know, you, even a virus, a virus is this thing, is this entity, is this being, you know, it's like, a, like it's an organism or something. It's not a virus is a yeah. process. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like an algorithm. You know, a virus is basically a biological algorithm. Um, that's what it is. It's a process. It's not a thing at all. And, you know, if you want to work, <laughs> if you want to find processes for dealing with that little process, then, um, yeah, oh, you, so you're going to lose if you're just finding things, finding things to deal with that things. Yeah, and not focusing. Quantifying I mean stuff to measure what that thing's doing and then trying to find ways to change those quantities. Flatten freaking curves and all that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, take us into. I, I love that. I love that reflection. Um, this piece, Tyson. That the virus is the reason it's a virus is because it's viral. You know, we have this concept of viral. You know, the transmission of knowledge. I mean, learning as a process itself. Mm. It, I mean, learning is a process more mm. than anything else. So I, I'd love you to reflect on. Yeah. Like. You know what is what is learning for? What is learning to you? How would you reflect on that? Is it a process? And what well, are yeah. its elements? It is, and there are processes that are interacting with the process that's you. You know, there are phytoviruses in salt water every time you go swim in the sea, and they're entering your body, and they're changing you. You're mutating in response to those little things. They help you. You know, they make you healthy. Um, but when was the last time you got a, you know, some kind of pathology from a virus? Have a think about that for a minute. What happened to you? The last time you had a virus and you went in, <laughs> you know, you got heaps of water first to put by your bed because you're going to need that. 
Yeah. And then you just curl up and curl up under the blanket and you <clears throat> you stuff around for a while, but then you just go deep. Mm. You're not quite asleep, you're not quite awake. You're like in this chrysalis mm. of illness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um you know, a few days later, that's if you're lucky enough to do that. Most of us have to work through this now and we miss the freaking process. It's annoying. Um, I haven't been able to take a sick day in freaking five years. Uh, I've had to like, and so they last for like two months. You got you cough. I've still got a cough from the cold that I had two months ago, you know, because I never got to have a day just to rest. Anyway, it's you're so, supposed to so like, do that. Anyway, if you remember the last time you had a chance to rest, you yeah. like, you're going real deep and then it's these things that are not quite dreams there's things moving around things have been moved you know reformed mutated in you and you come out and you may if you drink enough water you come out of it and how does it feel when you first set up and you're better mm. like it's amazing like you're coming into an awareness of your body again and with that awareness you're going i'm different yeah you know I changed now. I've like shed a skin or something. I come on next level. I'm, I've leveled up. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then you're just exploring the world with these new eyes. You're walking around. You have all these powers. You can do things. You're like, you know, that um, thing that I was trying to do. I don't know, gymnastics or kung fu or whatever the week before. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get it right. Suddenly you can do it. It's like, I process all this, mm. you know? Mm. And you come out. That's what that's what they do. Mm. That's what viruses do. You know, they, they yeah, processes that assist with mu mutation, assist with adaptation, and they're thrown up from the environment to help you move with the land, because the yes. land's always moving. The land's always changing. You know, the climate changes. The mm. you know, mountains Seasons, move. Right. They rise and fall. You know, um, ecosystems move. Yeah. Seasons change. All these things change. And you have to change with them. And that's uh you know, that's that's how that works. You know, I, the land gives you everything you need. Yeah. I wonder this this piece uh, that's such a wonderful reflection Tyson us just like lost in the lost in story there about it's almost like a rite of passage and you know the the, the liminal state that you know have yeah. been part of human the human experience for s thousands of generations mm. it's like the industrialized model of which schools are one manifestation and and as are many other social structures mm. that we see around our world all of them seem to be coming in some ways not even ignoring but being deliberately anti those mm. types of experiences you're i mean you're, you're such a great point when you're ill what does the industrial model mm. do suffer through and grind through you haven't got time you know you're an economic yeah. unit yeah. that is meant to, but that's, to kind of continue you know. that's the thing you mentioned rites of passage so you mentioned yeah you mentioned rites of passage and that's um you know part of the rites of passage is is an ordeal but that that's part that's only part of it and at the moment in this sort of globalizing system it's not really a culture it's just an economy that demands you know certain things of people this this liberalism mm. you um there's plenty of ordeal you know you get the trauma there is a process of collective meaning making that's 
it's done. Where you have, you know, people with authority, knowledge, authority, who are guiding you through that, mm. you know, as a collective, and you know, you're able to make sense of it. Make you're able to make meaning, and there is no meaning making out of ordeal here. Um. It's like you know, it's just trauma. A trauma doesn't happen while you get hit or while you're getting sick. Trauma happens later when you can't make sense of it. Mm. You know, um, and so then you have, well, we're going to have to give these people uh, resilience workshops and mindfulness training <laughs> so that they can like perform some kind of spiritual first aid um, <laughs> and like just patch themselves up and then bloody get back out there and work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I can remember in one workplace... You know, going through a really difficult time of some, you know, like horrendous lateral violence. Like, you know, right. like fellas calling me a house nigger on Facebook and bloody, you know, wow. uh, threatening, you know, to harm my kids and all kinds of weird stuff like that. It was horrendous and I got just got to this point of, you know, I'm quite suicidal and, you know, and... So what my workplace offered me was, you know, well, you've got, a, you know, an hour and a half of free counseling on this free call number. And I called it and it was, you know, someone in a call center in India <laughs> who, you know, sent me a PDF document on a mindfulness technique. And <laughs> you know, I said, basically, yeah, I'll take a day off, do the mindfulness thing, get back to work, see you later. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, my yeah. goodness. It's uh, it's like ah, <laughs> it it's, it's, uh, it feels that's like the model right there. Yeah, it's like the interventionist paradigm, isn't it? The like, inter interve okay, yeah, the interventionist that's paradigm as opposed to the preventionist. You know, and this is I think where we get the resilience piece from as well, which is, you know, the onus is on you to be resilient against a system, particularly, and you can speak more powerfully to this, but if you if you in, you know inhabit some some parts of the intersectionality space, uh, you know you be resilient, and the onus is on you to demand what you need, as opposed for on the system itself, which is so good at retaining stasis uh, and propelling any significant disruptions that kind of help that that might impede its core functions. I mean, I, I'm I'm not just thinking in educational terms here. I think mm -hmm. all structures, economic health, pathological health mindset, you know, education, I think all of it is, um, we are still susceptible to thinking that we can patch things over as opposed to go down to the root principles and really shift from that space. The mental model that underpins why mm. we do the work we do, not even why we choose to be the people we are in yeah. relationship with our country, our planet, yeah. with ourselves, with our workplace or learning environment, what do you? How do you take us? Yeah. How do we transcend that space? How do we get mm. over the kind of self-delusion, uh, and and realize that it really is system change work that's required here? Well, you know, it's it's about um, you know increasing the rigor of your scientific method <laughs> for a start. <laughs> so you know the you got that uncertainty principle. Yeah. You know, and that uncertainty principle is like, you know, the act of observing something changes it. And, and, and uh, you know, you try and remove as much observer bias as you can mm. from your inquiry. Because um, any data 
any data that's you know been affected by the researcher in any way is contaminated data you know <laughs> but i guess the difference between indigenous and non-indigenous inquiry is that um you know as an indigenous researcher um you embrace the fact that you're in the system mm. that in the field that you're studying you know you're not contaminating the data because you are data yeah you know you're in there you're part of uh, a dynamic self-organizing system that is observing itself yes and you know yeah <laughs> and, and and reporting on that um yeah. <clears throat> so and I, I know that and that seems like subject subjectivity to a lot of people but what usually happens with um you know trying to control for observer effects mm. what that usually does is just obscure obscure the true agendas of that mm. inquiry or of that intervention mm. you know especially if it's an experimental methodology and you mentioned that psychology of interventionism and it's primarily about um you know hiding and occluding your true objectives you know and mm. hiding those behind sort of false stated objectives yeah you know so let's let's use an example um you know um all right well let, let's use the example in the states of QAnon, and you know with the um <laughs> yeah sure. good example the attack on the capital there yeah. yeah you know so that's um you know that they, they basically they have a whole heap of stated goals of you know um you know, saving America and and stopping evil, and particularly it was around saving the children. It's how they mm. it's how they uh, recruited most of those people, because no matter what your ideology is, no one can argue with saving the children. Yeah, that's you true. know. Okay, so you state this, you know, you with a series of narratives, no actual proof or evidence, but. You know, you have narratives and a few examples that are true. Mm. Like, like, yeah, there is a Jeff, there was a Jeffrey Epstein and he was doing this. Yeah. And he was, you know, a billionaire and he was talking to these liberal elites. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so you're able to take a few facts, cherry pick them out and then go, okay, there is an evil cabal that's running the world. And uh, there is a, uh, a network of pedophiles you know, high-level pedophiles throughout this culture, and we've got to drain the swamp, mm. and uh, and they've ripped us off. So we need to actually set up a gallows outside the capital, go in and hang, execute <laughs> the, the vice president because he hasn't been evil. He hasn't been yeah, sorry yeah. active enough in bloody um, overthrowing uh, yeah. this evil government, um, yeah. this evil deep state. You know, um, so you know they mm. basically, but. So the stated goals are about saving the children, you know, but the actual goals and agenda of all of the um, the actors behind that, the bad actors behind that, the actual goal was to cause instability yeah. and to entrench a, like a, a, basically a crime family for a while, you know, um, in order to carry out massive heists and, and um and make huge changes that would allow oligarchs to do whatever they wanted for a couple of decades more. Yeah. Um, and basically to, you know, to stall any action for a decade on, you know, real action on climate change or anything else that would Tax prevent reform. these oligarchs from extracting the last of the, the stuff. 
you know, so that's, that was the true objective was uh, in the end, like everything else, it all comes back to a land grab. You know, it's mm. just looking at being able to seize, you know, resources from landscapes and, um, and you know, process those things in ways that are going to destroy the landscapes that people need to survive. Mm. Um, that's pretty much um, always the true goal behind these interventions. So you could yeah. just change a few words in there. Um, that process exactly the same as the Northern Territory intervention. Mm. Exactly the same. You know, there's a secret pedophile ring. <laughs> you know, we need to save the children. Anyone who disagrees with this is for pedophilia and abusing children. Interesting. So you get one of those rare instances of bilateral support for something. And sort of in they go. And what's the first thing? You know, you send the military in. And what's the first thing you do to save the children? Well, you get everyone to sign 99-year leases of their land over for mining because mm. that's how you stop the pedophile <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so you've got the stated the stated goals, stated goals and then you've got the, the actual goals yeah. so basically in the end you know um you know controlling for observer effects yes. and you know trying to put forward this illusion of you know uncontaminated data and of objective uh, objectivity yeah it's yeah. usually just a way of obscuring your true goals and i think uh, that happens a lot mm. in the academy um but at the same time you know it doesn't always happen you know the peer review process and a lot of administrative bureaucratic processes in the academy are very difficult to deal with mm. and and they're very annoying but those annoyances do tend to weed out um, your sort of grifters <laughs> quite a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, the ones who just, you know, have a hypothesis and then announce it as a theory and then just run forward and then try and gather together followers on so followers on so social media and then yeah, put yeah. it out there as a real thing and, and then off they go. And they're usually selling supplements or something. Well, it's, that. And, I mean, this, conf yeah. this conflation of confidence and accuracy... I yeah. think is it's is one of the clearest challenges we face, I think, as as a species. Is you know, yeah. the louder you say something, the more seemingly it's believed. And and you know, we spoke you spoke at you know length about the process of kind of virality, right? And how things spread and of course there's no it, it, the crazy thing, I mean, you you're in, in a university context at the moment is it's kind of like the best thinking is the most difficult to access right now, often behind a That's paywall it. that, you know, and it's, if we were to design a system, we should be elevating the most profound ideas that come from the deepest thinking. And yet what we do is we actually elevate the exact opposite. Mm. You know? And the kind of, it's, you have to be first and it's about spread and it's about, you know, the quantitative piece on this. And I'd love your reflection on this as well, Tyson, if you've got the time still, which is, it seems that the quantification becomes the challenge. That it's yeah. right. Well, how many how many impressions did we get, or is you know as a how even even how many citations did we get? Right. I mean that's that's yeah. a kind of positive spread of information in, in many cases. But it's like we try try to fit everything. If it you know what gets measured gets managed. In fact, some people assert that if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, so what does that mean for all the non-tangible assets so like consciousness or community or belonging or empathy or love? I mean, this is where we're struggling in education systems right now is yeah. how do we create a new language, a new 
language of learning that has the right components of evidencing and recognition that's still rigorous, very rigorous, mm. but it's not rigid and it's not exclusionary. It's mm. holistic and it's in- indigenous, I would even, you know, yeah. perhaps posit in its, in its conception. Well, I, you know, I think that's... So I, I was supposed to have started this last year um, doing a residency at University of South Australia with them. Um, like blessed to ever been a red me. Like yeah. and he's one of the heroes I met that he didn't disappoint me yet. Yeah, he's a, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's Shout pretty out to awesome. I'm so excited man. I get to co write papers with him and stuff now. But the project we were supposed to be working on all this year, uh, which we hopefully we're hoping to get to next year, um, is the is this education futures business. Mm. You know, and it's um it's around not like how can we improve the indigenous content in the curriculum? You know, you yeah. know that, that's not what our indigenous expertise, knowledge, you know, um, and that, that systems that we're moving around in the knowledge systems, that's not what that gives us, you know. Mm. More, more things to mandate for teachers to teach that they couldn't possibly teach. Yeah. Or that's just going to, like, damage my kids as much as rabbit-proof fence and bloody painting rocks on NADOC day <laughs> did to them. Um, yeah, which was quite, yeah, quite traumatic <laughs> for mm. my kids coming through high school. Um, you know, all of that content. Mm. Um, yeah, instead of that, how does, how can our, um, our processes, pedagogies, you know, knowledge systems, um, you know, ways of being, you know, how can these things actually shape different systems of education? Yeah. You know, not just some more content for this one. Yes. Which, I don't know, my my opinion of the current education system, or it's the same as it's always been uh, public education, it's always, you know, it's it's got a very openly stated goal of preparing workers for a workforce. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, that's no secret. Mm-hmm. That's not a secret agenda. That's quite openly on all the documents and in every speech, you know, mm-hmm. we're preparing, you know, every staff meeting, we're preparing workers for the workforce. And um, it's always about catching up to someone's idea of what the system is, what the context is now. Yeah. You know, uh, it's all. it's always about preparing students for the system that is now or someone's idea of what it is now. But usually their idea of what it is now, it's so slow to form an accurate picture of that. It's like five or even 10 years behind most of the Mm. time. So you're always in catch up mode, trying to drag a curriculum into what you think is happening now, but was actually happening five years ago. And you're not even thinking to like prepare students for what they're actually gonna, the world they're actually gonna enter. Mm. So I had, so when my, when my eldest daughter graduated, you know, so as, as like an education consultant and an educator, you know, I've been to that many hundreds of graduation ceremonies over the years mm-hmm. and it's all the usual, you know, <clears throat> hope speeches, you know, all that, that kind of neoliberal rhetoric around, you know, like you can do anything, you, you control your destiny, follow your dream. Girls, you could be prime minister, you know. The sky mm. is the limit. Anything you can imagine, you can do. Mm. Now, my poor little daughter, she was told 
<laughs> she was told that story <laughs> mm. right the way through her education, um, but not in the final year of it. Right. This was just a few years back, and it was like, and that was when I knew everything shifted. It was about the time when they were talking about going to zero interest rates or even negative interest rates. Right. Um, when the, there were those uh, capital capital flight controls, you know, that the, the Chinese government was placing there. And there was so much fear that the whole real estate market would fall apart here. And then all the construction industry would fall. And, oh, because it was coinciding with the end of the mining boom, you know, yeah. which is always the construction phase. It was like, oh, my God, most of these jobs are in construction. What's going to happen? The whole economy is going to fall apart. There's going to be no real estate. We're going to have to start a whole of infrastructure projects. What are we going to build? Doesn't matter. Put another overpass over there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dredge some sand from the bottom of the sea we need more sand for this concrete build build something or it's all gonna fall it was at about that time um uh, i can't remember what year that was but if you remember that time when they're going oh my god we're gonna have to put interest rates to zero unemployment's gonna be insane um so it was at that time and she graduated and i went along and it was like unbelievable the principal gave a speech that i would never had anything like it it was like um oh chin up don't worry too much. Don't look so, don't look so depressed. There's still a lot of very exciting opportunities. There's still some opportunities in the world. There are some very exciting opportunities for all of you in the service industries. <laughs> you could uh, go into hospitality. You know, there are, you know, get a certificate in, you know, massage therapy. You could, uh, right. you could still be a masseuse. <laughs> there were things like that. Not like you can be prime minister. Because the girls didn't have that anymore because, you know, everybody was, um, you know, learned their lesson from what happened to poor old Julia when she mm. was ditched. Um, mm. You know, she made the mistake of trying to uh, trade directly with China with mm. yuan and, and Australian dollars and cut out the US dollars in the exchange. <laughs> Silly girl. You know, so uh, she got soft assassinated there. Um you know, I think so. I think most Australian women learned their lesson there. Just set your sights a little lower, girls. Um, nobody wants to get flogged away. That poor girl got flogged. Anyway, um, so my daughter, it was more than half the females in her class, her graduating class, had to become cam girls. So they were like, had to be stripping online for money and having sex online for money. So they were all sex workers. Actually, and, and this was from, yeah, actually, and this is from, was quite a good oh school <laughs> that they went to. Um, yeah, and it, it was the best op opportunity they'd, they'd have. She didn't do that, so she spent, um, that was a few years ago. What was that, four, three, three years ago? Yeah, she spent the last three years just applying for jobs, applying for jobs, applying for jobs. She did finally get one this year, right. you know, uh, stacking shelves in the chemist warehouse. But it's taken that long of applying for several jobs every week, you know, for her to get there in the end and, and find a job that will barely cover her rent. Yeah. Um, you know, it is not, <laughs> it's not the world that she was prepared for in her education yeah, at right. all, you know. And it's not like this wasn't known. Yeah. Because if you remember right back in the late 90s, do you remember that the, the 2010 all the 2010 mm -hmm. stuff. GFC, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not many people... No, but like back in the late 90s, we, they were talking about the towards 2010. 
Oh, right. Oh, the um, of- uh, business. There were all these documents. Anyway, uh, we had to do trainings. I remember doing the trainings for it. Right. In education. And it was about preparing for a world where, hey, pretty soon everyone's going to have a freaking device they can hold in their hand and access any knowledge from anywhere on the planet. Uh, this is going to change everything. Right. <laughs> you know, worlds of work are going to change. Half the jobs that exist right now aren't going to be shift. there soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything's going to change. We need to actually have different school. Uh, you know, uh, you know the Bachelor of Learning Management. Right. You 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 come across that course. I That's sort of a hangover from that, right. because they okay. So there's you can still see Bachelor of Learning Management courses. They're still called that, but the they came out of type all environment. That. It's kind of. They, no, to... yeah, they just came out of that because the idea, the, the language that came out was, well, there will be no more teachers. They're like blacksmiths. Oh, now you've got learning managers. You know, students will, uh-huh. each student will have their own budget and they get to choose what they're going to learn. That'll be eduware and they'll be able to uh-huh. upload it to their device and each student will be a self, like an autonomous learning sort of person with personalized learning plans, you know. Yeah. And schools will just be hubs. And basically, students will be learning from you know everywhere. <laughs> wow! And it's anyway, um, yeah. that I didn't happen. No, it hasn't what, what did happen was nine. What did happen was nine eleven, mm. and followed very quickly by a culture war in which the Dixie Chicks and Phil Donahue got slammed for uh, opposing, and France got slammed for opposing the invasion of Iraq. You end up with a massive culture war. If you remember in Australia, particularly Queensland, there was a massive attack on postmodernism in education, mm. um, which there's a through line to now with the culture wars that are going on, mm. you know, against critical race theory and all the rest. That's true. And uh, yeah. the new basics, if you remember the new basics, um, that got smashed, mm. like completely smashed in the culture wars. And so your uh, productive pedagogies that were coming out of that, they got wound back and smashed. Uh, uh, In some places, they were neutered down to quality teaching, the the quality teaching framework, if you remember that, uh, which got further neutered again. Uh, (laughs) So it had things taken out like uh, group identities, active citizenship. Mm. Uh, all the you know, um, problematic knowledge, things like that, you know, had right, those things right, right. Uh, removed. All the like uh, postmodern sort of stuff, anything that involved critique or thinking. And, you know, there was a big push to go back for the reading, writing, accounting. Yeah. And so direct instruction became a very, a very big push. I remember. And uh, if Abbott had survived, it would have gone through because if you remember, he was trying to bring that across from the indigenous community trials mm-hmm. uh, to poor communities in the mainstream because mm. uh, we're always the lab rats, always the guinea pigs. The intervention was a practice run for what they're about to do to you, Luca. That's uh, <laughs> all of it. All of it was a practice run. Remember welfare reform? Around the same time as all this stuff I'm talking about, remember the welfare reform thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, that started as an indigenous intervention, like before the, basic the intervention, etc. And yeah, and yeah. eventually that was actually rolled out on, in the mainstream population too. If you remember, a lot of those uh, those measures were taken. Do um, you think, Tyson? Do you think yeah, this so is going to? So everything gonna... they do to us, <sighs> they're just practicing for what they're going to do to you. So uh, education for me, education futures is about actually redesigning education completely as an, as an institution yeah. from an indigenous perspective, which is really, really good at predictive modeling yeah. and complex thinking uh, to actually be able to look at what the decades ahead hold and the skills that the kids will need to have to become the janitorial species that they're going to have to be for a thousand years 
of cleanup. You know, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all wow. of these things. Cop, wait, as we um, record this, COP twenty six is happening right now in Glasgow, so it's all yeah, it's all coming to a to a head. I mean, I've never heard it put in in such terms as this, Tyson. Um, in a way where, I mean, I, I suppose my final question to you is how. Based on everything you've put to it, I mean, it, it can feel overwhelming. And I think in that space, you know, when we're thinking about system change and, you know, kind of the dominance of these, of uh, I would call kindly past paradigms, right, um, mm. that still dominate our thinking, you know, reductionism, neoliberalism, uh, the idea that we are economic units, we've internalized the industrial model. You know, it really, it seems to be like... It, I still firmly believe if we, desi- if we redesign boldly enough, we can create this kind of holistic humanist world and we do that in fact humanist doesn't go far enough it's more like bio collective because Mm. it's about all living things it's not like humans having a great time but climate is burning and there's no biodiversity Mm. anymore i mean it really Mm. is this idea of thinking holistically once more so take leave us with a few a few take-home messages on how might we actually overcome some of these challenges some of these really significant mental model movements um campaigns even that, that undo you know that the things that truly make us human and that truly help us uplift ourselves and each other in communities stop stop looking to change stop stop looking to change systems how can we overcome these how can, like just just give yourself a rest for a minute Give yourself a break. <laughs> set hope. Set hope aside. Mm. Embrace the real context that you're in. Embrace the real mm. context and be in that for a while and respond to that and don't quit. Usually when teachers mm. can that's I mean, that's why there's such a huge turnover now. Teachers train for longer than they actually spend in the profession now, mm. on mm. average. It's a terrible you know, statistic. Um yeah. because it, it, there's only so long that you can block out what's what's really going on, and then it it it, um, it gives you so much stress. But basically, your 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 job now is to mine data from students, hmm. and that's what that's what um, direct instruction was also trialing, you know, because you were there to to um, to mine data from the students with these sheets that you would you would fax off to Chicago or email off to Chicago every week. And then they would feed that data into the computer and send you the worksheets for ne- the next week. You know what I mean? Uh, teaching mm. was automated. Teaching was simplified. And you read from a script. Um, now, uh, and I've looked, uh, it's been a couple of years since I saw like the latest AI stuff. So I don't know what's happened in the two years in oh. between. But looking at the big I- Ivy League uh, unis and the 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 stuff that's funded uh, from private industry, like billions of funding they have for education AI, you mm. think, oh, that's amazing. So you're going to have like AI to enhance the learning experiences of students. No, mm. no, 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 no. I looked at all of these things and in every instance, the AI was there to, to extract data from the students while they sat at desks in rows writing with a pencil on the worksheets. So you've got very high tech. So they had these, uh, you, you saw these caps on their heads where the teachers were wearing special glasses to see the hologram that was showing um, their brain scans in real time wow. that would show whether they were engaged or not. 
and that data constantly being uploaded. So it'll make it easier as a teacher. You don't have to, you know, have you have to spend all day filling in forms as to who's wearing an eyebrow ring and who's not, um, recording all the students' behaviour and every bloody you know little thing they do or don't do, and then you've got to upload it to the database. Um, yeah, you won't have to do that anymore. You'll you'll just be standing at the front of the room reading from the script while the AIs like uh, <laughs> extract data from the students. Uh, there were heaps of things like that, but the most disturbing one I saw was a uh, was a chip where the students would put a thumb. I'm not kidding. This was I think this was the University of Glasgow was developing this, but the students would put their thumb on on the chip, and it would do a prick and and a thumb prick. Uh, extract the blood, and they they sorted out a little device that um, that could um, that could go through the genome really quickly, and the, they basically found all of the markers that indicate a likelihood that a person would be this intelligent or that intelligent or suited no. to this kind of labor or that kind of labor. Mm. So you know, on your first day of school, you get a thumb prick yeah. that will. Uh, stream you into your education <laughs> your personalized education so that's what ai is being used for in education it's not to enhance our learning experience it's to um reinforce caste systems and you know um wow you know more horrendously turn kids into just the sausage factory of, of producing workers or but most of them are going to be irrelevant in the in the marketplace that's emerging, the economies that are emerging, most people are going to be irrelevant, and they're not quite sure how they're going to keep them alive or whether they even want to keep them alive. So that's the education system that uh, we need to be designing things for. Um, and for us, you know, as Aboriginal educators, we understand that that first pedagogy is coming from a sentient landscape, mm. that the land yeah, teaches no. you, the land gives you everything you need. You know, so in the end, our pedagogy is taking us back to a place of um, of land rights activism, and in the end, that's not just for us. In the same way that all these interventions are not just for us, they're for you as well. You know, a return to the landscape is going to mean a return to the landscape for all of us, mm. because country's there, and she want to look after you. She wants to look after you and give you everything you need, and. It's not some bastard's real estate. That's our land. Mm. That's our habitat as a species, mm. as the custodial species. And we're yeah. going to come back into relation with it. And that's where education is going to go. Yeah. Whether we like it or not. Because, you that's know, we need mother to take will it. smack. Yeah. 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 That's him. Tyson. In the meantime, we're going to have to deal with some of these uh, oligarchs and robots. Well, uh, hopefully there's a bunch of us on the case. I certainly feel having spoken to you now for this delightful hour, I definitely get a sense that you're on the case. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. I mean, it's been very, very insightful, uh, which I thought it would be. Um, I just, I, to be fair, I'll leave thinking about your reflection on, you know, how do we, how do you protest in place? How do you remain in place and, and understand the kind of what, like to look around and really feel mm. where we are and not kind of wash it with a with road rose colored glasses um and then yeah do that do the hard work of redesign being, and do it together being being in place together is the biggest act of rebellion you can do mm.
that that, nice. that is a really effective revolution just yeah. being in place together it's yeah. that terrifies power the notion that we might do that so put your signs down put your phones down just be in place together and um yeah it takes all the heavy lifting out of activism yeah. <laughs> tyson young porter thank you for joining us for the learning future podcast it's been a delight no worries bro Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.